Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. When I started writing the book, I planned for it to be for the whole first-generation community. So meaning the children of immigrants, whether that's Mexican-Americans, Nigerian-Americans, Filipino-Americans. And I quickly learned as I was writing, I really have to niche down because this is not going to be as impactful if I try to keep it broad. So I did niche down to first-generation Latine because that's who I am. That's my lived experience. So I really, really leaned into that. And my hope is that basically anybody that's like the first, the first to graduate from college, the first to be in corporate spaces, the first to have ability to build wealth in their family when their family was just living paycheck to paycheck. My hope is that they feel seen, that they feel that they're not alone, that they understand that the reason money is hard is because it's been gatekept from us. And I hope it inspires action. And I do that by sharing a lot of personal money lessons. That's why it's called Money Lessons from the First Gen Mentor, because I share all the good or bad money stuff that happened to me and how it taught me the importance of credit building, investing, having savings, having all these things that I talk about in the box. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Gigi, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, Janice. Thank you so much for having me back. I know it's rare that you have people back, so I really appreciate you having me back on the show. Well, you know, there's a very good reason why you're on this show. Why don't you tell us? Uh, you're so sweet. <laughs> uh, well, since we last spoke, which I believe was probably in 2021, maybe 2022, I have now launched my first money book. It's called Cultura and Cash, Lessons from the First-Gen Mentor for Managing Finances and Cultural Expectations. It's a mouthful. <laughs> oh my gosh. First of all, congratulations, because it is such a rare thing for Latinas in general to publish any type of book. But I don't even know if there's like enough statistical data to show how rare it is for a Latina to write a book about money. I know. I know the statistic overall for Latinas is 2% in publishing. Who knows what that's in money? Yeah, it's definitely a fraction of a percentage. Yeah, yeah. Point <laughs> zero 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 one. Yeah, yes. definitely. Okay, so we before we dive into the whole backstory of the book and how the origin story, because that's fascinating in itself, for anybody who hasn't already met you, give us a quick introduction of who you are and what you do. And then we're going to talk about how you found yourself in this space where you're writing a whole ass book about money. So hi, everybody. If you don't know me, my name is Giovanna Gonzalez, but a lot of people may know me as Gigi or the first gen mentor. I'm a former investment professional turned TikToker, financial educator, speaker, influencer, and now the author of Cultura and Cash. And my mission is to help first generation Latinas and other first generation professionals learn how to make smarter money moves. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say this was not part of the original plan. Which part? Like all of it, the TikTok, <laughs> the writing of a book, like all the things. You know, what's funny. You're the first to know this. The book actually was a part of the plan. Really? Yes, girl. Yeah. So I actually got the idea for the book. It was December of 2020. Yeah, it was during the pandemic. And it was after reading so many money books myself and finding that some stuff was still missing. And I'm like, I'm going to write a book. I was a nobody. I didn't have a TikTok platform. I nobody knew who I was except people at my nine to five right? and my family, right? <laughs> like right. I did not have any sort of audience or anything. So I started writing the book and I say started because now I know that I had no plan or no writing plan. Yeah. And I remember I started Googling, like, how do you sell a book? Because I'm going to start writing a book, but I don't have an audience. And I YouTubed a video that was really helpful. And this woman said, you have to have an online audience, start an Instagram account, do a blog. I'm like, oh, fuck that. Like, I, <laughs> that's 
too much work. And I'm like, I'll just focus on writing the book and I'll build a community later. Honestly, that was how it happened. But then TikTok happened. TikTok happened in March of 2021. So when TikTok happened to me, I never had seen TikTok as a platform to create content on. It was still relatively new. And that video that I mentioned on YouTube, the woman didn't mention TikTok. So when TikTok came about for me, it just felt like a safe space for me to show my true self because, you know, girl, you're on TikTok too. It's just like feral over there. Jesus. <laughs> I'm like, yo, if you were bullied as a child, please don't open a TikTok account because you're going to be in therapy over the shit that's going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, people are really raw and authentic and they will give it to you. And it's just a completely different vibe from Instagram where Instagram people are much more curated and like polished and perfect. So TikTok felt more natural to me. And I started building my TikTok community, of course, always thinking like, oh, this is this community that I was supposed to build for the book. But I was so busy starting my business because I had to quit corporate to be a full-time TikToker that the book took a backseat. And it was something that always bugged me. And, and people that have been with me, my community has been with me a, a long time. Like they know, they're like, what's the update on the book? And I'm like, there is no book. I'm like, just trying to survive these entrepreneur streets. <laughs> Yo, it's not easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. And I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I waited because I see some entrepreneurs that, you know, they get inspired by you and me, which is great. We're there to inspire, but you definitely need to have a business foundation for yourself before you go into the book writing space because selling books isn't what's going to bring in a bunch of revenue. So you have to have a strategy. So anybody here that's listening to that, again, I love that for you. It took me after having the idea two, two and a half years to actually get it going. And that's okay. And I'm better for it. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I knew that I wanted to write a book last year to come out this year. And I had to make a lot of space in my business. I had to cut things out. I had to take an income hit and it was like all intentionally done. But the mental capacity that you need to write a book is very much a sacrifice as an entrepreneur. And let me tell you, these cute little advances, this shit don't pay for nothing. It takes like three years to get this money. They drip it. And that's after your agent gets their cut and you got to hire other people anyway with part of this money. It's not all glamorous, okay? It's not fucking Girl, sex at in least the city. You got a, at least you got a book deal. I didn't even get a book deal. <laughs> I'm paying for all this. <laughs> Let's talk about that, right? Because you've been very candid about your experience with the traditional publishing world, which is definitely not friendly to POC in any way, shape or form. It's very much a gatekept world, just like the world of money. So tell me first, like, what was your thought process with initially launching the book? Like the, were you going to choose the traditional route? And then how did that evolve for you? I'm glad we're talking about this because who talks about this, right? Yeah. Yeah. So again, going back to December 2020, when I first saw the idea, I thought self-publishing because again, I'm a nobody. So I'm going to do it through like Amazon, KDP, whatever. And then as I started building the platform, I'm like, ooh, maybe I'll get the interest of publishers. And I did actually, I did get an, an offer, a book deal from um, not one of the big four, but still a very well-known publisher. I won't call them out because I don't want to be sued. But if you, if anybody wants to DM me, I will tell you who it is because I don't care, but I, I will not say <laughs> it on this platform publicly. They gave me a very insulting and predatory offer of $5,000. What? Girl, yes. The audacity Girl. for them to then pay that shit out over two years. <laughs> and I said, you contacted me. Like, I didn't reach out to you. You came into my DMs, into my emails, wanting to, like, you saw the value in me, and this is what you're pricing it out. I didn't even bother negotiating because I'm like, we're so far apart to even make this work. I'm like, I'm good. Thank you. I enjoyed learning more about the process. I'm good. <laughs> 
So I got a, I got a small taste of that, right? And then once that offer came through, I'm like, ooh, maybe I should fish for some book deals. And I quickly learned the process, which I respect you for going through it because it's a whole process in itself. And like writing the proposal, getting an agent, then your agent fishing it around. It's just a lot. And I'm like, okay, well, if I got a direct deal, maybe I can go straight to an agent already and be like, hey, I'm kind of a couple steps ahead. And I immediately hit a roadblock there trying to get an agent. I found that a lot of the agents, well, definitely I wanted to work with a Latina or Latino. I did not want to work with the white person. I'm sorry. Because again, I knew the book that I wanted to write was very specific. So I need the person to understand who the audience and the reader was. And I hit this wall with the agent search, which now I've learned the best way to get an agent is through a referral. Don't even bother doing these like cold inquiries or whatever the inquiries are called. Because I submitted a couple, never heard back, as if I'm like a nobody. Again, I have a platform. I already had gotten a book deal, uh, even though it was predatory and insulting. It was still something, right? right? Interest from a publisher. And yeah, not one single response. And I'm like, I am not about to convince people that this book is needed. I know this book is needed. So then that's when I went the hybrid route. So hybrid publishing for a lot of people that may not know, is basically in the middle of self-publishing and traditional publishing. So Janice is a traditional published author. She got a book deal. She got an advance to write her book. And then self-publish is when you like do it yourself on like Amazon. Hybrid is in the middle. What's nice about hybrid is that you get to retain a creative control over the book cover, the title, the final editorial say, everything is up to you. But the big con is you got to pay for it. <laughs> mm. So you're basically like leasing the services of a publisher. Would you describe it kind of that way? Yeah, because if you self-publish, you have to go on this journey of like finding all these different editors because you don't just need one editor. You need a developmental editor, a proofreader. There's different kinds of editors that your book will need. So you got to have all those people ready to go. And I'm like, I don't want to do those vetting. How do I know who's a good developmental editor and who isn't? That's not my world. I didn't have the contacts, nor did I want to, because again, this isn't my space. Uh, you need to find a formatter. It's just a lot, a cover designer. And basically with working with the hybrid publisher, it's uh, in-house. They're a publisher, but they work for a fee. So it worked for me. I was able to outsource it to them and still retain creative control, which was very important for this specific book. And, and, and yes, it worked for me. But again, it's very expensive. And the only reason I was able to afford it was because of the TikTok Latinx grant that I won. That was a grant through TikTok, Macro, and Unbelievable that helped 10 TikTokers pay for their dream project. I was one of the 10 winners. And my dream project was this personal finance book for first-generation Latinas. So to be transparent here for anybody that's like, how expensive can this thing be? I mean, it ate up most of my $50,000 budget. It was about $35,000. And then I actually paid more of my own money because of how expensive it is to go high republishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a serious commitment that you made to the community. And I think it just speaks to like the fact that you are here for the right reasons because somebody who's just out here trying to get their Instagram dollars up real quick, like it's not going to make that type of financial commitment to something. And at the end of the day, all of us as authors, we're taking a risk. By hoping that like what we're creating lands and that what we're creating people actually care about and they purchase and they support. Just shout out to you for saying, you know what, I'm going to make this shit happen and I'm going to make it happen on my terms. I'm not going to accept the scraps that they want to be offering. <laughs> exactly. Me. Thank you. And you know, ever since then, I have been approached by other publishers. The last one was one of the big four. 
And they saw that my book was already underway. So they're like, oh, I would love to have a discussion about any future books. It's very much how they opened the conversation with me. So I'm like, okay, I can see myself writing a second book. Let me entertain this, right? Girl, that call was like, all they were trying to get out of me was like, so is TikTok a good place to market a book? How, wow. how, what's your strategy? And I, yeah, as soon as I realized you're just trying to extract from me and this is not a collaborative thing, miraculously, <laughs> I got a terrible stomachache. How funny. I swear I had this like, terrible stomachache and I'm like, girl, I got to go. My stomach hurts. <laughs> Talk to you later. And I <laughs> logged off the phone because I don't know if I would have had the courage to be like, click on her. I should have. And I definitely will next time. That was my first time experiencing some sort of bait and switch like that. But that's what I'm telling you. That's why I'm so turned off by the publishing industry as a whole. And yeah, we can do a whole podcast just on that girl. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I've heard plenty of horror stories from other authors of just like the shadiness that goes on. And I'm really grateful to say that like my experience has been completely different. And I think a lot of it has to do because I worked with people who had the connections from the beginning, from my book proposal coach who got me my agent. My agent was the one who recommended the publisher. My editor is a black woman. Like there's just so many things that are aligned with bringing this to life that I'm like, thank God for that, because I can see why so many people could be turned off when that experience is like what you've had. Yeah. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Cause it's rough out here in these streets. <laughs> it is, but we have to persevere through this process the same way we have to persevere with our money, especially as first gen, because nobody's given us the blueprint for how this shit's supposed to work. And this is why people like you and I do what we do because we're literally creating the path that has not existed before. So let's dive into Cultura and Cash. First off, who is this book for and what impact are you hoping to have when this book is in people's hands? Thank you. That's such a good question. When I started writing the book, I planned for it to be for the whole first generation community. So meaning the children of immigrants, whether that's Mexican Americans, Nigerian Americans, Filipino Americans. And I quickly learned as I was writing, I'm like, I really have to niche down because this is not going to be as impactful if I try to keep it more broad. So I did niche down to first generation Latine, because that's who I am. That's my lived experience. So I really, really leaned into that. And my hope is that first generation Latinas or other first generation professionals that resonate with the message, basically anybody that's like the first, the first to graduate from college, the first to be in corporate spaces, the first to have ability to build wealth in their family when their family was just living paycheck to paycheck. Like anybody like that will still gain value from the book. And my hope is that they feel seen, that they feel that they're not alone, that they understand that the reason money is hard is because it's been gatekept from us, right? Yep. <laughs> and I hope it inspires action. And I do that by sharing a lot of personal money lessons. That's why it's called Money Lessons from the First Gen Mentor. So I would say the book is part like memoir, part personal finance book. It's probably like 30% memoir because I share basically all the good or bad money stuff that happened to me and how it taught me the importance of credit building, investing, having savings, having all these things that I talk about in the book. So, Yeah, I think that's the experience for most of us. It's just like things happen, whether that's like to our family, you see your family lose their home because foreclosure or there's a job loss and an extended period of unemployment because they don't have the skills to go and get another job or there's the inability to get mortgages or loans because there's no credit. There's no social security number, right? There's like unique things that we have to encounter as first gen kids that make the 
conversations that have been had about money, not necessarily 100% relevant. So I'm curious because I know you're going to get this question from major media. Why do we need a book about money for Latinos? Because can't they just read every other book that's out there already? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mean, I tried that. I tried that. <laughs> I've read over 50 personal finance books, and it was great to learn the ABCs of personal finance, which is just the plain vanilla. This is how you build savings. This is how you start investing in a Roth IRA. Like, I learned those things thanks to those books. I can't knock that. But the part that I didn't learn is the cultural nuance that we, as bicultural Latinas, who are creating a life in America, but still have our cultural values from our family, from their home country, there's very much a money clash when it comes to money. What I learned the hard way is that in America, money is handled in an individualistic way where you take care of your own finances. You don't tell people about your money problems. If you have any money problems, you charge on a credit card, you figure it out, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And again, it's just like you're on your own. And that's just on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of how we Latinos, Latina, whatever you want to call us, handle our money, right? We're very family oriented. So our money is always going to seep into our family, whether that's going to look like, hey, I need money because the roof caved in. Can you help pay for this? Or, hey, I need monthly allowance because I can't pay the bills with the income that I have. Or, hey, we're going to retire in a few years, but we don't have a retirement fund. Like, how can you help support us? So these are all unique issues that we have to face as the children of immigrants and none of these other white vanilla money books talked about. Yeah, I think there's a complete lack of acknowledgement of the level of impact that privilege has on money. Just like being an American, like being born in America is such a fucking privilege that like I think so many of us take for granted having a social security number, like shit that you don't even think about. Our culture really impacts our money experience in a lot of ways. And I think one of the biggest ways is our money mindset. So what do you think is one of those issues that our community specifically has when it comes to navigating money from a mindset perspective? You know what's so funny? I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about, because I'm so glad that there's so many other BIPOC authors coming into this space. And the trend that I've noticed as I've, I haven't had a chance to read all these amazing books, unfortunately, because I've been so busy with life. But the trend that I've noticed is that all these BIPOC authors always have a mindset component, which you don't really find in other white vanilla money books because they get this privilege of It's just what was taught to them. It's just what makes sense. The system was created for them. But for us who have experienced like financial trauma or our parents mistrust the financial systems because the banking system in Mexico was shit, like those are all things that they don't have to unpack. So for me, the first two chapters of my book is focusing on the mindset, improving the mindset, improving or getting rid of any unlearnings that aren't going to serve us in our money journey. And then I get into the ABCs of finance. But yeah, there's there's a lot. I mean, I mean, my dad has still has his life savings debajo de su colchón, you know, underneath mm. his mattress. 
And I tell him, and it, you know, it's, it breaks my heart, especially who I am and the kind of work that I do. My job is to inspire action, but I cannot get through to my dad. And I'm never going to give up. Every time I see him, I tell him, dad, that money needs to be at a bank. What if somebody breaks in here and like steals your money? What if the house burns down? There goes your money. And he's like, I'd rather take all those chances than having my money at some bitch ass bank. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's real feisty. That's where I got the feistiness from. <laughs> But that is so real. And those are things that we have to navigate. And that's why if you're not tackling the money mindset, like you could give somebody all the strategy, all the steps, all the things to do, and they're just not going to do it. And I think that's what so many of these personal finance books miss out on. It's just like, if somebody hasn't accepted that they are worthy of building wealth, accepted that there is risk of investing in the stock market, accepted that money is okay to want, like, it doesn't fucking matter if we tell you to go and open a high-yield savings account and buy index funds. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, too, ties back to, like, Christianity, right? So again, Oh, yeah. There's a lot of deep-rooted things about, yeah, like, you shouldn't want for money. Like, you're more virtuous because you're poor. And no, like, you can do more good when you have money for yourself and to support others in your community. So, yeah, there's a lot of mindset work that our community has to do. That's sure. so funny that you brought that up because I literally wrote about this in my book. I have a whole section on, like, the prosperity gospel and all the predatory shit that happens. Like, you know, donate to the church and it's going to make you wealthy and blah, 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 and all these narratives. And I'm just like, y'all, let's stop getting scammed by other people <laughs> who are getting rich off of your piety, okay? Like, let's not do that because that's not the move. Yeah, it's funny because my grandma, she does that. Anytime that I give her money, she's like, gracias, mija, Dios te lo va a multiplicar. And I'm like, God hasn't done that for me. So I'm like, enough. Like, I'm doing this because I want to. Like, but, but that's very much what they're taught, you know? Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about your first Gen 5 framework. First of all, what is that? And maybe give us a little preview. I can tell somebody read the book and Janice did read the book because she was somebody who endorsed my book, which I thank you very much because having your endorsement is so impactful to this reader because girl, everybody knows your name, you know, so I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, the first Gen 5 is how I chose to deliver this financial education. I knew when writing this book, I knew I couldn't write about everything money. There's too much under the money umbrella to cover, you know, life insurance, crypto, real estate. And I knew that I had to keep it down to basics. And I'm like, okay, what are going to be the most impactful things that somebody will take away from my book? Again, a first generation Latina reader. And I said, I came up with the first gen five. So the first gen five are made up of prioritizing emergency funds to have savings, as well as learning how to budget because we never were taught that, as well as prioritizing debt payoff instead of thinking that debt is normal and it's just a part of life and you should be passive with it. No, it is holding you back from doing other things with your money and treat it as an emergency and a leaking faucet in your life. And then fourth, building credit and understanding how to hack the game so that instead of you paying them interest, like you get to travel points. I see you and your mama flying to Paris first class. Like that's travel hacking, you know? So Absolutely. yeah, that's bonuses. And I, and I got the credit card that you put me on. You put me on the American Express. What is it? The platinum one? Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one for anybody that likes lounge access and all that stuff. So, and then lastly, a focus on, on long-term investing, because since we're not going to be the recipients of generational wealth and we're not going to get an inheritance to set us up for our financial future, we need to learn how to invest now for the long term so that we do have a peaceful retirement. 
Yeah, I love the fact that you're really helping folks set up that foundation that then is going to set you up for that long-term wealth building success. Because when you have a plan for your money, you have a plan for your debt, you have a plan for your savings, like there's a lot of things you can avoid financially when you have money set aside for emergencies, when you have a budget and you know what's actually happening with your money and you have a plan to create now generational wealth through the process of investing. So that's freaking fantastic. And I feel like this just predicts the fact that there are going to be additional books because like you mentioned, there are so many things to talk about that this is like the level one, get through this and then I'm going to set you up for success with level two, probably talking about increasing your income, negotiating your career, all that stuff. So I'm manifesting another book for you is basically what I'm saying. Thank you, baby. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the things that I love that you talk about in this book is the impact that our family's finances has on our own financial goals. So you talk about financial boundaries or what the hell is that? You know, <laughs> what is a boundary when it comes to money in your family? How do we actually extend support without self-sabotaging ourselves? And how do we prepare to help our parents save for retirement, which is a very, very real thing that a lot of us are facing. So I want to ask you, first of all, what does that situation look like for you as far as your plan for financially supporting your family? In specific to retirement or just overall? Well, overall, right? Because there can be people who have to help financially on a monthly basis just with rent. There could be people that have to send money back home to another country. So first, let's talk about like, what was that moment for you that you realized, oh shit, like I am the financial plan here. I learned the hard way. And that's why every chapter of those first gen five also has an element at the end of the chapter of how budgeting ties in with family, how credit ties in with family. So what to do when your family's like, hey, can we borrow your credit because you got the good credit and we need to buy this. Vanilla money books don't teach you that. And that's a very real conversation for a lot of us. But basically my personal experience navigating that with no sort of heads up from anybody in life, I stumbled through it. And what I was instilled was that to be a good daughter, a good Mexican daughter, you have to give money to your family with no end. So if they need money from you, they call. The only acceptable answer is yes, which what did that look like? That meant that in college, when I was living off student loans, and I did have a part-time job, but it barely covered anything. I was majority living off student loans. I was paying for my mom's car insurance and her phone bill which now looking back, I had no business doing that. And my mom didn't know any better either. She was just like, oh, my daughter's taking care of me. She was proud of that. But now if I see any, any of my mentees doing that, it's like, you don't know. <laughs> you cannot live off student loans and be paying other people's bills. Shortly after I graduated, I started giving an allowance to my grandma. It wasn't much. It was $50 a month to my grandma in Mexico. And I did that because my grandmother raised me until I was five. So um, she plays a big role in my life and I actually partly dedicated the book to her. And I was okay, even though I still had a bunch of debt and had no savings. I was proud to do this for my grandmother. But then I had to switch jobs and I got a pay cut and I told her, hey, I can't do this anymore. And then when my financial situation got better and I could have gone back to giving her the allowance, I was starting to learn about money and I saw that the allowance was being mismanaged. So I tried to teach them. I'm like, hey, let me put you on a budget. Let's try this. Let's try that. And they didn't want to hear it. You know, it's funny because I what's her handle. I, Clarissa explains money. Do you follow mm -hmm. her? Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's so funny. I love she her. Is. I just <laughs> discovered her. Yeah. And she came up with a, her so it's crediting her. She says, Don't give your budgeted dollars to people who refuse to budget. 
which can be hard because again, you're taught that you need to show up for family no matter what. But I learned the hard way after getting many asks that I couldn't fulfill. One ask that I couldn't fulfill was a family member needed me to use my credit card so they could pay for their $7,000 surgery in Mexico. It was an emergency surgery. And this person is a very important person in my life. And of course I wanted to, but this person I had also had some bad history where she hadn't paid me back for other stuff. So I'm like, I charged it, she gets her surgery and then she doesn't pay me back. And now I'm stuck with $7,000 when I already have student loans. I have a car note. So that caused a lot of conflict with the family because I was accused of like, you didn't care and you were about to let this person die. In the Latino culture, you very much are expected to light yourself on fire to keep other people warm. And my approach is like, we're bicultural Latinas, Latinos. We get to pick and choose what we like from both cultures and move forward that way. I love that approach. It can be so hard, right? Because you're you're being the bad child. You're being the ungrateful child. What, what advice do you have for a first gen who are navigating those emotions? Because that shit's a lot. Therapy, therapy, therapy. Facts. <laughs> Therapy is going to be so helpful because that's when you're going to learn that it's not selfish to prioritize your needs. And that's where you learn also the, the skills to implement those financial boundaries. And I just, we just got back to the financial boundaries. So yeah, through all these trials and errors, I learned to finally implement financial boundaries of saying no. And again, saying no to your family, ooh, it's like one of the worst things you can do. So yeah, I learned how to do that. And that meant being comfortable with being criticized, being called a bad daughter, because I knew at the end I was prioritizing my needs. And now what I do is I support family when I want to and when I can, which is on my terms. And it feels so much more beautiful to give freely on your terms when you genuinely want to show up for family than when you're having your arm twisted and because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. And especially if you haven't set aside money that you can honestly like be okay with never seeing again, right? We always talk about like, if you're going to give money, it's never a loan. Just assume it's not going to come back to you. And if you cannot afford for that to be the case, then you cannot afford to extend help and you just need to keep it a hundred. Well, that was a situation I was stuck in. Yeah. I didn't have any solid financial foundation for myself. And I was just giving, giving, giving money that I didn't have to family because that's what I was supposed to do. But guess what? When I needed help, nobody could show up for me because they were all broke. So again, somebody has to have a solid foundation. Once that's built, then you can consider supporting family in that way. Mm -hmm. So this book has gotten some incredible praise already, and it is just out. So can you tell us, first of all, like, what has the reception been for the book and maybe any fun endorsements you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had beta readers in the beginning of the book writing process, which I am so thankful for because they honestly helped me get rid of the cringiest parts of my book. And I they got shout outs in my acknowledgement section by name because they deserve it. And since then, I had my my launch team, my street team, my Cultura and Cash crew, and that was about 80 people that I enlisted. I gave them advanced copies of the book, and they helped me hype up the book launch. And they provided feedback along the way, and a lot of the DMs that I got from them was like, oh my God, I'm crying. I feel so seen. I thought I was the only one. This had to be said. Thank you for saying it. I know it was tough. So again, I know that for the person that it's for, they understand it. 
it's not for the general public. This is not a money book for everybody. So I'm very proud of what I've written and I'm proud of all the wonderful 14 amazing women that let me clout chase off your guys' names <laughs> so that I could do the book blurbs. Janice being one of them. I got Mari from the Mujerista. I got Katya, the first Mexican born women in space, which this, this woman, like I cry every time I see like her posts and all the impact that she's doing in her industry. And again, I love all you wonderful women, but by far my favorite one was Eva Longoria. <laughs> Hello. Yes, yes, girl. Wow. I know, I know. Yeah, so, so I have looked to Eva for years. I first started liking her in Desperate Housewives, but I really fell in love with her seeing what she did after Desperate Housewives, which was doing advocacy in the Latino community. I don't know if you know, but she actually went back to get her master's degree in Chicano studies. And this was already as an A-list actress. She was already an A-list actress, but she did it because she knew she wanted to be an advocate for our community and she wanted to be better prepared to do that. So yeah, I've adored this woman for years. And the fact that her endorsement is on my book cover is just was not on my bingo card. <laughs> yeah. You can't even plan for shit like that. That's incredible. My God. Yeah. yeah. Thank wow. you. <laughs> Tell me about the name. What inspired the name of the book? Because I know that's such a hard decision to make. Yeah. So to be transparent, I did not come up with the name. I paid my hybrid publisher a titling fee for them to uh -huh. brainstorm. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually the very first title that I want to come up with was First Gen Money because it's clear, right? Okay. But hello, you and I know there's already a brand called First Gen Money. Shout out to Danielle. Yes. Which I love Danielle, <laughs> right? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing this to Danielle. This isn't right. This is her brand. Even though they're two different things, I'm not doing that. It'll be confusing. So yeah, so I paid my publisher to come up with some names and girl, you should have seen that first round of names. It was like investing. It was just the most like white vanilla names. <laughs> and I had already filled out a form of what I wanted, something that spoke to my community. I was like, these are all trash. Go back to the drawing board. This is not it. Go learn some Spanglish and get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is unacceptable. Like, no. I said, you need to go back to the drawing board. And again, that's one of the pros of High Red Publishing that I did have that last say. And when I kind of came down on them, they came back the second round and I had a way better options. And yeah, the winner was Cultura and Cash. And I love it because it's a bilingual title. So it immediately speaks to the person who it's for. And then it also highlights the fact that culture plays such a big piece in our money experience. So yeah, I, I love the title and I've gotten a lot of good feedback about it. Yeah, it's fantastic. I am so excited for everybody that's listening to this show to get a copy of this book. So can you please tell us how we can get a copy? And if you have any freebies that you're offering as an incentive for folks to pick up a copy of Cultura and Cash. Oh my God. You're so sweet, Janice. Thank you so much for having me on and for letting me plug myself. So yeah, you can buy Cultura in cash anywhere books are sold online. So again, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. If you go to culturaincash.com, you will find all those places linked on my website. And as for freebies, if you're still kind of not convinced about the book, I do have a free guide that you can check out. It's on my website. It's called How to Talk to Your Parents About Retirement, Drama Free y Con Cariño. You can download that 10 guide for free. It's a conversation guide so that you know how to have these money conversations with your aging parents. And if you like the themes of that guide, you're going to love the book. So hopefully you take advantage of that. Congratulations again. This is such an incredible year to be Latina in the money space because I feel like we saw glimpses of what was possible starting in 2020 when 
people started waking up to the idea that like unique perspectives are important in the world and especially in this conversation. So shout out to you, girl, because this is an incredible testament of the community that you've built, the work that you've done, and just the impact that you're having. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Janice. And I want to give you some love right back because I was also an advanced reader of your book, Financially Lit, and your voice is going to help so many because like you're like no bullshit. And a lot of people, people receive information in different ways. So my voice isn't like that powerful. Some people's is even softer than mine. And again, different people respond to different kinds of voices. So the people that need like get your shit together. And I'm telling you why, like Janice is that person <laughs> in Financially Lit. And I'm so excited for your book to come out and to support it in every way I can. Thank you so much. You know, I feel like I teach people about money the way that my mother taught me about life. Just that tough love, Latina mom, we're going to figure shit out. And so um, mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that when folks pick up a copy of your book, they feel empowered to finally make the money decisions that they've been putting off because now they actually have a voice, you know, access to a community that actually understands them. So once again, thank you for everything. Thank you so much. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Much. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.